Hello, this is Vin Peterson from Politics Weekly, and today we're going to be discussing a lot of news um, on politics. Um, there's been a lot of things going on lately. Most of it is a bit crazy and honestly depressing to see in the world's largest country, world's largest, most successful country on earth. It's a bit disappointing to see how our political system's going down. But I do want to give you a quick overview and just give me my perspective give you some of my perspectives on it and just um, analyze some of the things. Hi, Vin. Mm-hmm. Hello, Mom. <laughs> I um, Vin asked me to join today, so I'll be uh, asking questions. And I know, Vin, you have a agenda here, so yes. I'll uh, let you chat. So in North Carolina... Um, um, the state legislature in North Carolina, the General Assembly of North Carolina, they were able to override Governor Cooper's veto of a 12-week abortion ban. The current limit in North Carolina is 20 weeks, but they overrid a veto and did a lot to make it only 12 weeks. Um, in addition to that, it also, in addition to the 12-week abortion ban, the Bill SB20 would establish additional licensing requirements for clinics. It would also um, expand the waiting period from 24 hours to 72 hours. This will actually be the longest abortion waiting period in the country tied with Missouri. Wow, and how did that veto happen? The override, you mean? Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, the override. Yeah, I mean, Governor Cooper obviously wasn't happy about this. I mean, he's pretty strong on abortion rights. Um, he was not happy about this by any means. The reason why the override happened is initially Republicans, they had a veto-proof override majority in the state Senate, but they actually fell one vote short in the state House. Even with aggressive gerrymandering, they weren't able to get a supermajority. That is until one Democrat actually switched parties to become a Republican. Trisha Cotham is her name. I'm so interested in that because, like, didn't she campaign on abortion? Yes, she did. She campaigned on abortion rights, and she is um, she was endorsed by Emily's List, which is like a pro-choice organization. And she was also um, she also was a co-sponsor of a bill. It's still listed on the state legislature's website today that would codify Roe v. Wade in North Carolina. She's still listed as a co-sponsor on that bill. I mean, that's crazy. Um, you know, I just, I'm interested if she was a plant or again, like people aren't like, were there signs somewhere? Um, like who was giving her money, you know, like George Santos, right? Like we weren't paying attention. And then you kind of thought, oh, well, he's, you know, kind of a, maybe a moderate Republican. He's Jewish, right? So like, I don't know. I, I'm worried, like, is this the new way to do it? Just uh, put in Republican plants who pretend to be Democrats and then flip in the middle? I guess, possibly. But the thing is, though, I think she was our, I think she disagreed with, like, Democrats on, like, school vouchers and a few other things beforehand. And I think, like, if I heard that sometimes the Speaker of the House will pressure you with things like, if you switch parties, you'll get a committee chairmanship and you'll get a nicer parking space or more office space. And, like, sometimes those things are important. And, you know, the thing is, like, parties are always very careful about whipping votes to make sure that they stay along party lines almost as much as possible. So I guess in that sense, it's not super surprising, but at the same, and this has happened once or twice before um, about people switching parties, Arlen Specter in Pennsylvania switched from Republican to Democrat, 
Jeff Van Drew in New Jersey switched from a republic um from a Democrat to a Republican. Now Trisha Cotham in North Carolina switching from a, a Democrat to a Republican. So it's happened a few times. Yeah, it's just like really painful that one. You I know. know because she was the deciding vote to override Governor Cooper's veto. Yeah, that's just like now he has no power. They can just override whatever he tries to veto. Exactly. I mean, Governor Cooper doesn't really have that much power um, in terms of legislating his own agenda because they basically hold the supermajority. They could basically govern as if they just pretend the Democratic governor doesn't even exist. <laughs> right. That's crazy. How, how sad. I mean, I know North Carolina was supposed to be kind of purple, but... It is. It is. It's still a 50-50 state. It's leaned slightly red, but only barely. It's still very much a 50-50 state. They got a Democratic governor, as we mentioned. And the thing is, Republicans, they gerrymandered it so much um, that that's why that they're able to get the supermajority. And with that party switch, um, it's just one of the most gerrymandered states, honestly, in the country. Like, they've had their... They've got, like, four to five maps struck down within the past, like, five to six years. Wow, that's really sad. Yeah. Now it's time to discuss um, CNN hosting the Trump Town Hall. Oh, boy. Okay, so I didn't watch this, but I did see some highlights. I didn't watch it either, but I first want to address why CNN did this in the first place. Why do you think they did this in the first place? Because why would they give this guy... A platform, you know. I know Anderson Cooper said, "Oh, he's the leading Republican front runner," which we all know he is. Ron DeSantis is a joke at this point. Um, yeah, I can say that. <laughs> yeah, he's the leading Republican front runner. Um, and I guess I get you want to have a platform for a very likely, likely the next president of the United States. It can still very well happen. Trump wins. It's unfortunate to think about, but it's still very possible. Another thing is the fact that Trump is the fact that, like, CNN, I think, ever since they got a new ownership, that they've been trying to sort of move, I guess, towards the center or maybe towards the right a little bit. Yeah, is CNN the new Fox, and then Fox is going to go even more right? I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's They're in a tough position. I just think they that... They They don't want to lose viewers and stuff like that. Yeah, I think if they wanted to do it, the best way to, to handle, if you want to have true ju- journalism and not just turn it into some kind of... Profit machine. S- a sensationalized campaign video would be to record him and then break it up and show like how he's not telling the truth and because having him live you know it's just all over again and it's it's awful to see this guy who's like you know wants to be president calling that woman nasty because she's asking questions and it's just it's just Ugh, it's so gross. He's a con man, and the thing is, um, party leadership could stand up to Trump, but they won't. I mean, Mitch McConnell has already said he'll back the Republican nominee no matter what, because he's too much of a a coward, basically, to do the right, to put country over party, and I think McCarthy is pretty clear that he'll back Trump, and, you know, the RNC is pretty clear that they'll back Trump, and, you know, but, you know, the thing is that, like, for democracies to survive, I think people also need to learn that. You know, Trump is an existential threat to our democracy. There's no bones about it. But like in France, actually, there are actually a handful of conservative politicians who actually, um, a good majority of conservative politicians in France, who actually decided to dump Marianne Le Pen and endorse the center-left candidate 
um, Macron because they thought that um, Le Pen was so much of a threat to democracy that they just didn't want to take the risk. So that's not really a thing in the U.S., that there's just too much party loyalty. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think they would stand up against Trump if if they didn't think you if they thought there was a better candidate if you know some he has something over everyone it seems i i don't quite understand why they won't stand up but they you know power they just don't want to lose their speakership or minority leader or majority leader title that's somehow more important than the country for some reason yeah i just I don't know. I just feel so confused. Like, does every Republican like Trump? Or, like, they, are they privately hate him. They privately do. Yeah, I a mean, lot of them do, right? McConnell, especially because, I mean, he attacked his wife, like, horribly. Like, all these racist rants against his wife, Elaine Chow. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but, I mean, what about the just the actual voter? The Republican voter? Oh, I mean, they're basically fed lies by politicians who know better, and they're also just... That's kind of the thing is that they're just fed lies. Because they just watch Fox and... Yeah, of course. They're just in an entirely separate ecosystem. Yeah, that's such a bummer. I don't I don't know how to do... I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about me, right? I mean, I try to stay away from most of it. You tell me the news most of the time. But, yeah. um, you know, uh, I don't watch Fox News. No, I do not. Yeah. It, it's kind of scary and... You know, the thing is, like, in the 1970s, we all were watching, like, CBS or ABC, and whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, we were all watching, like, a sort of mainstream news source. There wasn't really Fox News or anything around that same scale. Like, we all got, whether we were liberal or conservative, we all got information from the same source. That's not really the case anymore. Yeah, you can definitely hunt out uh, whatever it is that uh, you want to believe, whether it's... True or not. Yeah, exactly. Now let's move on to another matter, and this is actually pretty frustrating, and I think it just further degrades trust in the institution of Congress, and that would be um, Dianne Feinstein. Oh, gosh. I know. This is just... What is people... What is people's problems with power and greed? Like, what? I mean, like... We need term limits in Congress. We do. I think every voter believes in that, except the people in Congress. Yeah, of course. Like, if you asked it, Americans, it would be like 90%, yes, we need term limits in Congress. So people like Dianne Feinstein and Mitch McConnell can't just consolidate power for decades. Yeah, it's crazy, right? I mean, like, Dianne Feinstein, how old is she? 89. And Chuck Grassley, he's the same age, 89. And he was reelected for another six years, so he'll be 95 when he finishes his term. And then he, he already filed for, with the FEC to run for another six years. So if he finishes that, he'll be 101 years old. Oh, my gosh. Like, how, how can these people represent the country? With the median age of, like, 38. When, yeah. When the median age of the Senate is more like 71. I, I mean, like, are they even using the Internet? I mean, like, are they using, like, what? You know, they're, they're holding, uh, you know, what people come talk about AI. Like or how TikTok. Do, or yeah, the, like how do they even know? Yeah, stuff like that. And also like net neutrality as well. Yeah, exactly. It's just like they can be swayed so much because how could they even understand it? Like They might not even know how to use the internet. Yeah, and, she, and Diane Feinstein looks awful. 
Yeah, I do actually feel bad for her. Um, I want her to get better. I want, I don't want to see anybody undergo physical harm. But let's be clear about something, though. She has dementia. Um, there's no sugarcoating that. And she's unfit to serve in the United States Senate because she's just not fit enough to perform her duties as a senator for the 40 million of people in California. I mean, people get pissed off at Santo about Santos and saying, you know, Republicans should do something. Well, uh, Democrats, they need to do something about Feinstein. Yes, exactly. And this isn't, oh, if she was a woman, you wouldn't be saying that. I mean, I mentioned Chuck Grassley as well. And of course, Mitch McConnell suffered from his fall recently at the Wardolf Austria Hotel, which turned out to be a bit more than a fall and concussion. And like he had to spend like a month and a half in rehab. So it's clear that maybe that our politicians are just getting a bit too old and that they're having health problems and that these health problems are distracting them from their duties as to perform in Congress. It's insane. This is insane. And whoever is handling Diane, why they think this is a good idea, I have no idea. Her staff is basically has no transparency. Her staff has been terrible. Her staff is basically given the same level of transparency that a that the Soviet Union would give when their leader dies. <laughs> Great. Um, or get sick. That that's that's the level of transparency we're talking about. I mean, they people just if if you let them get away with it, they will, right? So we're just letting letting it happen. Exactly. Okay, let's move on to the impending but manufactured crisis. Dun dun dun. The debt limit. Oh, gosh. Let's be clear about a few things. One is the debt limit is stupid policy for one simple reason is that. For one, it just risks an economic catastrophe practically every year to every 12 years. Markets are worried about whether or not Congress will do it. But even though they always, you know, have done it, the will they or won't they just makes the U.S. like a less attractive place to invest and a less secure place to place your money. It hurts the economy overall. So there's no reason to have a debt limit. It's stupid policy. And the thing is, countries without a debt limit they most often actually have lower debt-to-GDP ratios than the U.S., so there's no evidence the debt limit even works in terms of curtailing public debt. And the budget has already been passed, and this is just making sure we can do what— Pay the bills that, have already, that we've already spent on. Because of what the budget said. Yeah, and that they're required by law to spend. But Congress, it's, it's in, the problem with the debt limit, I think Jason Furman, a former Obama economist, explained this pretty well, is the fact, like— um, Congress passes a law saying that you have to spend $10. Congress passes a law, a law that says you have to collect $8 in taxes. But it passes another law saying you, you're not allowed to borrow $2, which doesn't make any sense. Right, right. And if that happens, that the U.S. could possibly not be able to pay uh, federal employees, not be able to pay Social Security or Medicaid benefits or Medicare benefits. But eventually, they might not even be able to pay the interest back on their debt. That's called a default, um, and if that happens, it would basically cause a depression, um, and also basically threaten, possibly even threaten the dollar as the world reserve currency. Okay, so if we default, it's going to be a huge thing, and also people won't get paychecks. A lot of people. Yeah, federal government employees. People will probably miss social security payments as well. Military. Yeah, they'll probably miss out on veterans benefits and. Stuff like that. Cops, or is that local? 
Police? Um, I mean, like, it depends. Uh, most of the funding for law enforcement is local, to be fair, but there's some that comes from the federal government as well, and things like the FBI um, agents won't get funded, like, service members won't get funded, Secret Service won't get funded. Things Schools? Like- Schools, I mean, that's partly a state issue, but things like Head Start, um, Pell Grants, those things, and also like some aid to school districts, but most of school districts at the state and local level, but things like Pell Grants won't go out there and things like Head Start might be underfunded. I see. Okay, yeah, so this is like a so huge thing. avoid at all costs. Okay, and so who's holding this back from just saying like, yes? Um. I would say it's Kevin McCarthy, but the thing is, it's a little bit more complicated because the thing is, Kevin McCarthy is objectively one of the weakest speakers in American history. It took him 15 votes to even become speaker. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Americans have a short memory, but that happened. And the thing is, part of that deal was that he would not agree to a so-called clean debt ceiling increase with like no strings attached. So he has to basically say that we're we're going to let we're going to let the country default unless if you meet these certain demands. So it's basically a hostage situation of give me everything you want or else we're going to cause economic chaos if you don't. And Biden is trying to find a compromise, but it's unclear whether or not Republicans are negotiating good faith. And also it's unclear about whether or not Democrats will agree to massive spending cuts. And it's just going to be very difficult, especially with time running out and it takes a long time to get things through the Senate. And also you need a 60 votes in the Senate. So it's going to be very difficult. Interesting. Okay. Um, and what what are you hearing that they want? Um, I know Republicans, they want um, caps on federal spending. That's probably the biggest thing is like caps over like the next 10 years on the amount of discretionary spending. I think that was done in like 2011, the last time we were in a similar position to this. Um, it didn't, I don't think, that's actually where most of the savings from their plan comes from. They also want additional work requirements. They want things like permitting for energy and fossil fuel drilling projects. And I think the thing is, though, they're kind of moving the goalpost. I think they said that they want like some changes to immigration law as well. They're sort of moving the goalpost a little bit. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so when did this happen last time? Did this happened during the Trump administration? Uh, they raised it three times without concessions um, during the Trump administration. It's been and ever in prior to 2011, this was basically done cleanly without anybody thinking about it. So, yeah, it's been a long-standing bipartisan precedent. It's been raised under Democratic and Republican presidents, Democratic and Republican Congresses, divided governments, and it's been raised under Trump cleanly, as I mentioned, three times. But they can't seem to want to do that this time. Yeah, we're in a new era now. You just fight for anything that would make Biden look okay, you have to make sure it doesn't happen. Right. And the thing is, though, like last time that we were in a similar situation in 2011 when they were very strict about their demands because of like the Tea Party newcomers, that basically hamstring speaker banner, Mm -hmm. sort of similar to what we're experiencing now, is that, but even on a much larger scale this time. And that was Obama that they did that? Yeah, in 2011. You might have forgot. And it actually caused, even though the U.S. didn't default, they actually got a last-minute deal two days um, prior to de- the expected default. They, they got a last-minute deal. They were literally hours away from defaulting when they got the final bill into law. But this, the, they, came, they came so close to default that the U.S. actually lost its top-tier credit rating by S&P. And so do we 
do we have we recovered from that? Nope, we've still maintained that credit rating downgrade. So uh, if it if we go to the last hours, do you think we'll downgrade again? Yes. Um, is there anybody above uh, the U.S. then? Canada's above the U.S. Wow. Yeah, so is most of Europe as well. Really? Okay. They don't have a debt limit. Those countries don't. And so what happens when we get a lower credit? Does that mean just like people won't invest, like no more yeah, bonds? Um, it makes it less attractive to invest. It doesn't mean they won't invest. It just makes it less attractive to invest because they think of the economy as less stable when that happens. Like the U.S. Is, could possibly not pay its bills. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stability and confidence is the foundation of any economic success. Right, right. And the thing is, though, I think that I think what needs to happen is just that Congress just needs to take their job a bit more seriously in general. But I think also just needs to happen is that we just need a bipartisan solution. I mean, Biden has been demanding a clean debt ceiling increase, but realistically, he realized that's not going to happen. He just realized that, unfortunately, that wasn't an option. So he decided to start negotiating with Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans. The thing is, though, I think I think McCarthy's lead negotiator, Garrett Graves of Louisiana, said that the White House was being, quote, unreasonable in their demands. I'm not sure what he meant by that. He didn't give many specifics on that situation. But, um, yeah, the, so the talks have kind of gone back and forth. Um, but that does... Um, that they stopped negotiating with um, Republican, that Republicans walked out of the negotiating table just a day after the House Freedom Caucus, which is like the right-wing members, of course, these were the people that blocked McCarthy's speakership in order to get that deal across um, to basically say that we're not going to accept any watered-down version of the bill that passed the House. Oh, great. Yeah, so basically like sort of a never-compromise position, which is guaranteed for disaster. Yeah, that group is just like very obstinate right like they're not gonna budge and these are people like scott perry and andy biggs and lauren bober like those sort of people right exactly um yes so that's one thing but the thing is i just hope that we can eventually avoid default and that we can get a realistic compromise that's what i hope for but it's just seeming very uncertain. Of course, there's a possibility that the media might be overhyping this because, you know, they do sensationalize a lot of things and that it might not be as bad as it's looking. But I'm still worried because, you know, it seems like the Republicans, they just gone very far in their tactics about even like possibly flirting with economic disaster in order to get what they want. And they're going to try to pin this on Biden for like, you know, just like they're going to try to pin this on Biden saying, oh, the Democratic Senate didn't do their job. The House passed a bill and stuff like that. Thing is, of course, the bill that passed the House will never realistically become law. So it's basically um, political posturing. Yeah, that's crazy. I know. I don't even know what to think anymore. It's just like we have these people in control that are just threatening to hold the global economy hostage. Yeah, my way or the highway. and it- That's bad for democracy would be the my way or the highway approach because realistically governing requires compromise, especially in divided government like we have now. But it seems like people, um, especially on the right, are just mostly on the right that they're trying to take the my way or the highway approach. Yeah, and the things that they want to cut are, are introducing suffering of people, people on, in the, you know richest country in the world yeah uh what's the point if we can't help people we want to introduce more suffering 
Yeah, like there are things like I, I mentioned that they're, you know, trying to cut things like, you know, like Head Start and like veterans benefits. There's been stuff like yeah, veterans benefits. Like, yeah. I mean, but like, I don't know how it just doesn't get out that that's what they want. You know, like veterans are are pretty pro Republican, you know, because right. the gun, I guess, gun support and, you know, nobody likes paying taxes. So. And they also, and like military spending and stuff yeah. like that. Thing is also, I think also the thing is also that they, they want work requirements for food stamps and stuff like that. It will save very, very, very little money and will only result in a very small increase in employment, according to the Congressional Budget Office. It won't really make any impact on the long-term like fiscal future of the nation. Um, so it's mostly about sending a political signal. And I think most, and you know, SNAP already has work requirements in place. They're just actually, what they want to do actually with these new work requirements is that they want to restrict states' ability to temporarily waive work requirements in like cases of significant like, um, unemployment. Oh, I see. Like, you know, states like during the pandemic would waive like the work requirements because people couldn't get a job. Right, right. So the work requirement would be useless if people couldn't get jobs. Right. And so it's like, oh, sorry, well, you have to starve. Yeah, and they want it for Medicaid as well, which is ridiculous. I mean, Republicans have been targeting Medicaid ever since the Affordable Care Act. So I guess it's not super, super surprising. And out, and if they could target Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, I think they would probably choose Medicaid out of the big three, you know, because seniors are such a large voting block they don't want to touch with that. Right. So they'll just uh, mess with the disabled? Yeah, the disabled and the poor. Right, okay. And the thing about work requirements for Medicaid is, of course, people on Medicaid are, 61% of people on Medicaid already have a job and are employed, so it's not a huge problem. And that other 39%, I mean, these could be people who are sick or disabled and, you know, stuff like that. And we don't want to risk taking away people's health care. I think that's just wrong. Yeah, more people homeless. You know, that's the last thing we need. And, like, people going into medical debt and bankruptcies. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take a break from, you know, we focused a lot on things nationally on the Paul on this podcast. Um, but I do want to mention that in the state legislature, they're taking like a, in Arizona. Yeah. In Arizona, not North Carolina. (laughs) Yeah. I can't, I can't hear that one anymore. They actually call it the general assembly in North Carolina, not the legislature. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in Arizona, um, the legislature there, um, they're taking a, basically a month or two off basically. Um, I think they're going to start on a few other things like a transportation tax extension bill and a few other things about like addressing like the Rio Verde foothills water situation. Yeah, I mean, they deserve a break. You know, they've been spending a lot of time like making sure they're passing bills like parents can bring guns to school and uh, I don't know, book banning. And what are some of the highlights that they passed? Yeah, I mentioned legalizing gun silencers. Oh, okay. That's a good one. Um, that's a few. Um, yeah, I think they also passed a bill about um, restricting transgender individuals from using the bathroom in public schools. Right, okay, to attack kids, that's a good one, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course this stuff is extremely stupid and extremely counterproductive, obviously. Yeah, because, businesses I mean... hate that stuff, stuff, it makes it less attractive for businesses to come in Arizona. Yeah, and in the end it just gets vetoed. All that work, all, all that, you know... We, you went and uh, talked to the legislator a couple times, and like uh, all that, all that effort. But 
Hobbs is just going to veto it. How many vetoes is she up to now? I think she's up to like 66. Napolitano broke the, Napolitano, the previous Democratic governor, she broke the record last time at 58 vetoes in a single session. So she's already eclipsed that one and they already have like 90 more bills that they just voted on and haven't made their way to the governor's desk. And most of those are controversial. So she's going to miss 90. Yeah, they have like, they voted on 96 bills on third reading of bills in one day in the house, actually. Oh my gosh. Okay. Give me one controversial one out of there. Um, there were actually a few that were killed, actually, because one Republican joined all Democrats in stopping them, though. Oh, who was that? S- State Representative David Cook of Globe. Oh, okay. So we were able to get some bad but ones blocked, but there were several bad ones to go through, though. There were some bad ones blocked, like a bill to end voting centers, for example. That got blocked. <laughs> okay. Which, you know, are allow people to vote at any voting location. Which yeah, is- that's really nice. Yeah, and there was also, but the things that did get through are things like I, m- I mentioned the transgender restroom bill. I think there was they're also doing bills relating to abortion. They're doing bills relating to you know firearms and stuff like that, and just a bunch of controversial bills. They're also doing bills. They also passed one bill to remove Arizona from ERIC, which is the Electronic Registration Information Center. And that's is that countrywide. Yeah, it's a group of bipartisan states. It's used in red states like Texas. It's used in blue states like Vermont and Massachusetts. It's basically, um, the way it works is it's basically an electronic voter registration database that says, like, say if you move from Arizona to Massachusetts, they would cross you off of the Arizona list and automatically add you onto the Massachusetts list. And this prevents voter fraud by eliminating duplicate registration. Yeah, you can't, like vote in Arizona and in Vermont because the database no, catches it. Right, and it's, an, it's a great tool for preventing voter registration fraud, which is the most common type of voter fraud. But it's been under attack by like right-wing conspiracy theorists. Okay, and so, they, so a, a bill passed to get rid of Eric? Um, to pull Arizona out of the coalition states that are in Eric. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's stupid. Anyway, that's all I have to say. I'm sorry that this is a depressing episode, but... Per use... Yeah, but I'm glad that mom was able to discuss some of this. Um, Yeah, thanks, Finn. It was fun, I guess. And goodbye. I hope you all have a good day. Bye.